Bad news on my TV screen, bad news on the magazines, bad news on the newspaper, bad news on the elevator, bad news on the street, bad news on my car. And good afternoon. This is Alicia Bales live in the studio with Dr. Drew Colfax, who is not live in the studio. Hey, Drew. Hello. Hey, how's it going from wherever you I'm are? Doing, I'm doing well. <laughs> good. Well, this is the local coronavirus update. We're here with the latest local coronavirus news from Mendocino County uh, and also to answer your questions. So the phone number here in the studio is 895-2448. That's 707 895-2448 and we'll be opening up the phone lines any minute now. But first, we're going to go ahead and give you the latest update. So things have not changed drastically um, either in California or in the state of, in the in the county. Um, we've been adding slightly over two cases a day for the last week, um, bringing our total count up to 3,966. The data is a little stale. The county hasn't updated since Friday yet. Um, so this is uh, April 9th data that's currently available. Um, slightly over 40 people in isolation or quarantine, five hospitalized. Positivity uh, rate has dropped to slightly over 1%. So remarkably low positivity. Things looking quite good locally for now. Um, California continues to look pretty good. The trend statewide is one towards slight increasing in positivity over the course of the last two weeks. We're up about 15% in the state of California. Um, nationally, we are also up about 10 to 11%. Um, and a lot of that's driven by local or regional um, hotspots, Michigan currently being the unlucky hotspot where their two-week trend is an increase of 60%. Um, and I, I think we're going to continue to see that, you know, that play out over the course of the next several months until there's greater um, induced immunity with the vaccine uptake. Right. Well, and the news today that we've been announcing all morning is that there are several hundred vaccines, first dose Pfizer vaccines available in Ukiah at the vaccine clinic that's happening or the vaccine event that's happening at the Ukiah fairgrounds. So for people who haven't gotten their first shot, there are a bunch of them available and people can just walk into the fairgrounds. They don't have to qualify for anything. They can just go in if they're 16 years and older, uh, they can go in and, and get their first dose. Which is both great, but it also uh, speaks to the fact that we're actually starting to run up against um, saturation of people who are willing to get the vaccine. The fact that this wasn't fully booked, um, you know, the moment it was announced really reveals um, how quickly we're going to reach, um, you know, the the low hanging fruit. And we're going to have to start working pretty hard to get to the 75 to 80 percent uptake that would be optimal for resistance in the community for herd and i think there's another event tomorrow too there are yes there's one tomorrow in let's see i have them written down uh at the there's one tuesday at the willits community center from 3 to 6 p.m and there's one on wednesday at the ukiah fairgrounds from 9 to 12 and those are both first dose pfizer events and then on thursday there's a second dose moderna event at the ukiah fairgrounds uh, for people who had their first moderna dose on march 19th 
Uh, and then, of course, although the local clinics have their allocation of vaccinations and the VA, I know someone who got their shot at the VA was great. And then we're hearing, too, that local pharmacies like CVS do have them available, including Johnson & Johnson. So they're they're around. People can get them. Yeah, which is which is great. You know, we're talking 55, 60 percent, I think, in the county, um, you know, just as a thumbnail estimate, um, uh, 50 to 60 percent of people who are vaccinated at this point, um, which is, you know, that's pretty good. And I'm not sure what our vaccine hesitancy will be, but I know the national figure is sitting right around 30 percent who are at least um, at least taking a wait and see approach to getting the vaccine with maybe 15 to 20 percent who are really quite adamantly opposed to vaccination. So, you know, hopefully that will change um, as there's greater uptake and there's less evidence of side effects from this vaccine and there's more um, pressure sort of, or more acceptance of the, of the safety of the vaccine. You know, we'll see. It's it's going to be a it's going to be sort of a long, slow uh, slog as we get through all the readily um, vaccinated individuals and start to try to uh, get the more reluctant people uh, to come forward to get vaccinated. Yeah, well, we're also still seeing eligibility open up. So for yeah. last week, it was uh, the age level for eligibility was down to 50, right, 50 and above. Right. And next week on the 15th, actually this week, uh, it's supposed to open up completely for anyone 16 and above. So I imagine that there are a lot of folks 16 to 50 who now that there's going to be nothing in their way may go ahead and and be very excited yeah, to get I, their doses. I, I imagine, but I, I think the, the sort of the rural and agricultural uh, aspect of this county has led to a fairly high degree of vaccination, even in that age cohort, compared to you know a more rural setting, a more urban setting. So we'll see. You know, in today's event, they're they're trying to fill the available slots, so they've apparently lowered that all the way down to sixteen prematurely of the April fifteenth deadline to to do that so which is appropriate i mean i frankly feel like in this county in particular we should just be throwing it wide open and we probably could have been doing that weeks and weeks ago we went through a long dry spell without a lot of vaccine um and that's you know finally starting to reverse again the j and j vaccine is going to be a trickle um for coming you know for several weeks at least until they figure out how to make it safely without contaminating you know, massive multi-million batch batches out of their plant. And I think it's outside of Baltimore. Well, and the other thing we were talking about on Friday with Dr. Corin was the dynamic of um, states in the Midwest who are requesting more. And then we've, there was a press advisory that went out that went out last week about how the allocation for California is going to be going down. And the explanation was because more needed to go to the Midwest. Have you been following this? What, what do you know? I have. About this? And, and today, you know, the CDC just today sir, announced that they weren't going to allocate according to surge. And, and really, that you, you'd end up chasing your tail quite a bit on this because it takes now, that's six weeks for immunity to be induced from the vaccine, particularly the two-shot vaccine, maybe a little bit less in terms of population analysis. But, you know, four to six weeks from now, the surge in Michigan is is going to have abated and the, it's going to be surging somewhere else. So you can't really vaccinate your way out of these surges on a, on a local basis or on a statewide basis. You just end up chasing these surges, um, you know, from one state or from one county to the next. 
So, yeah, I, I think the CDC's guidance, which is to say you need to you need to go back to the basics and shut things down and socially distance and wear face masks, you know, at least for the next month, um, is correct. Um, it's just it's impossible to get the vaccine into an area and induce you know vaccine immunity in a population quickly enough to head off these surges that we're seeing. Um, and so that that's based on, you know, that they're. Their recommendation is based on good science. So I don't actually think we're going to see a lot of the vaccine being redistributed to these states that are experiencing surges. The question is, you know, are we going to see a surge in this state um, or not? And I don't, you know, I don't think really anybody has the answer to that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the reason why Michigan surged is, is difficult to break down. There's not a single thing that they did wrong um, or that other states have done right um, to prevent a surge that Michigan's experiencing. You know, I'm sure over the course of the next month that their surge is going to abate and we're going to see other states surge in the 50 to 70 to 80 percent um, increase um, over the course of, you know, two weeks that Michigan's been seeing. Which states that is going to be? We just don't know. Um, one would predict that it's going to be states that have more lax rules around the pandemic, um, lower uh, rate of vaccine uptake. But you know, this this pandemic has tricked us and fooled us so many times over the course of this year that I really don't think we're going to see a linear sort of predictive uh, pattern about which states going to you know go sideways. Yeah, I mean, that was the question. There was a, a comment from a listener about, you know, why should states that are doing the, the right thing pay and lose, you know, their access to the vaccine to help out states that are doing the wrong thing? But it's not really that black and white, is it? No, it's really not. And, you know, this 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 virus tends to uh, co-vary with poverty and barriers to access to health care as well. Um, and so it's it's really just not that linear um, at all. So, yeah, it's it that caller did raise a good question. I mean, if if people in a community are extremely COVID um, cautious, so to speak, then you would expect there to be a lower um, incidence of the virus spreading among that that population. You know, redistributing the vaccine away from that very cautious population doesn't seem you know facially fair, frankly. But, you know, on the on the on the overall scale of fairness as to how this pandemic has played out, you know, that's that's pretty low on the list. Right. Um, and as we get more and more vaccine in this country, you know, it's it's just a question of continuing to roll it out as quickly as possible. And, you know, we're talking one third of the country right now that is that has had um, at least one shot. Um, and that's that's a pretty high rate. And if we're talking another you know, twenty percent that's had COVID. We're already into the mid fifty percent um, that has some degree of immunity. So we're getting close. You know, we, we really are. Um, these strains are still causing a great deal of concern, particularly the three fifty one uh, strain, the B three fifty one strain, sort of colloquially and inappropriately known as the South African variant. It seems to have. Um, less or has greater ability to evade the immunity induced by the vaccine. So whether that really takes hold and leads to surges nationwide, we just don't know yet. All right. And also last week, Governor Newsom announced that he's doing away with the tier system on June 15th. If, if I understand correctly, that's what 
That's what that announcement was. Not that the pandemic is over on June 15th, but that he's doing away with the tier system. Uh, what can you tell us about about that? Well, I'm not going to shed a tear for the loss <laughs> of the tiered system. Let's just say that. I mean, it was it was uh, it was it was marginally workable at the outset, but fairly poorly conceived, frankly. Um, and it didn't lead to much clarity um, or good guidance um, at the county level um, or at the state level. So I I think it was frankly um, misguided from the outset. So it'll be nice to finally be able to walk away from that. Yeah, but do you think we'll see a surge then? I think, you know, I think it's it's possible. I don't think we're going to see a surge um, in the sense that healthcare um, facilities are going to be overrun with patients because we are vaccinating the most vulnerable at a very high rate now. And, you know, the, the population that's 60 plus is extremely well vaccinated at this point, certainly locally and throughout the state, actually. So the crush, sort of the whole idea of flattening the curve to alleviate the burden on the healthcare system and, you know, ending up in a New York or a Los Angeles kind of pandemonium where healthcare workers just have too many very sick patients uh, to manage. I, I don't think we're ever going to get to that uh, point again, unless you know, unless there's some sort of radical shift um, in the transmission of the virus through one of these strains. That may happen, um, but then we're more or less dealing with a whole new phase of the pandemic. Which I, you know, obviously we hope that that doesn't happen. Um, there's a remote possibility of it happening, but I think, frankly, yes, we will see some sort of surge over the course of the next couple months in California, but it's not going to be one that crushes healthcare centers or or hospitals. Well, then, okay, to ask the dumb, obvious question, then if we've got so many people vaccinated in this country and then the sort of naturally acquired immunity from people who've had the virus, why are our numbers still so high in the United States? Well, because it's still spreading, you know, amongst the people who aren't vaccinated. We're, we're still talking, uh, you know, 70% or 65% of the population who hasn't received a single vaccine yet. Um, and a substantial fraction of the 30 to 35% who are vaccinated only have one dose and have only received it in the course of the last week or two. So they are still contracting COVID. Um, and so, you know, the fact that it's so widespread nationally um, amongst the population in general just translates to 50 to 60 to 70,000 cases a day. The death rate has dropped quite a bit because the most vulnerable people, the ones who get really sick um, and die from this, are vaccinated. Um, and so that's, you know, that, that really speaks to the efficacy of this vaccine at, at preventing the severe um, illness. Yeah, but it's it's still it's still amongst us. It really is, and there's you know there's still good reason to be following the COVID rules uh, with some with some uh, modification. I mean, I think that fully vaccinated people um, who are at relatively low risk of doing poorly can probably get together at this point. Um, you know, in in small in small settings, I, you don't want a big uh, big event, but small family get-togethers of fully vaccinated people are extremely low risk at this point. This week is the first week that I have hugged loved ones that I haven't seen in a long time, and it's been pretty awesome, I have to say. Well, I've actually, you know, my temperament is one that I, I really rather like the last year in terms <laughs> of the social distancing. So good for you, Alicia. Well, but, yeah, yeah, I, I, like, yeah. I, I agree. I vote for social distancing to stay. <laughs> I like it. But in terms of like my 
dear family members uh, who live close enough for me to actually have visited them yesterday, it was really wonderful to get to actually fully vaccinatedly give them hugs. I I think a lot of people are getting to that point where they're actually able to have physical contact with family members from whom they've been isolated for over a year now. Um, And and that's obviously a a great thing. It really speaks how we're getting through this. Yeah, it's quite a relief. Um, All right. Anything else that you're watching before we open up the phone lines? Well, the other the news today, again, by press release, not by published um, data, Regeneron uh, released some data showing that their antibody cocktail, two different um, antibodies, is quite effective. We've been, you know, using antibodies occasionally in in Mendocino County uh, from Lilly, um, but Regeneron combined two, and they just released data uh, showing that that works quite well. You know, I, it's not clear to me, frankly, how much utility it's going to have locally. It's the kind of medication that you would use in somebody who's not vaccinated. Um, and so for the handful of people in this county or for the small number of people nationwide who can't get vaccinated and are at high risk of um, doing poorly from COVID, this this is good news. Um, and so it, it's nice to see that press release at least pointing to that good news. They haven't published it yet, but presumably it will bear out when it's finally published. What did they say? How effective is it? About 80% from wow. uh, 80% effective at, at uh, preventing a severe outcome from COVID. So not quite as good as the vaccines, um, but pretty good. You know, it's it's a complex cocktail of medications that has to be injected either. Uh, I think the one they tested was a subcutaneous injection. The one we've been using is an intravenous injection um, that requires close monitoring, can cause anaphylactic shock, et cetera. So certainly not benign, um, but it, it has a it has a role and it's nice to see this sort of be brought forward. So, as one would expect, as the as the pandemic rolls on, they've found a, a pretty effective treatment for people who, who for get, people who who might need it who aren't vaccinated. But you know, it, it, that's you know, it's it's not a it's not a good alternative to the vaccine. Let's just say that it requires you know either hospitalization or a prolonged ER stay and administration of a vaccine of a medication that frankly has a much higher um list of side effects um or adverse outcomes when compared to the really robustly safe data that we're seeing on the vaccines right so the vaccines are like uh, less than a second painless little shot and the the regeneron what is it a mono it's not monoclonal antibodies at this point is it is that well it's it's two different antibodies um and uh, you know the names don't really matter but they, they combine it in a single shot so, but that, they, it needs uh, to be an infusion, clear. right? It's like stick, the needle sticks in you for a super long time. And I mean, like longer than... <laughs> let, let's not get carried away. Like it's days. Yeah, okay, fine. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It doesn't sound that fun to me yeah. one way or another. Um, okay, good. So anything else? I think that's all we have at the moment. Okay. Let's go ahead and open up the phone line, see what folks are thinking about. Oh, I know I had one question. Um, we had a caller on Friday who was talking about the uh, the mRNA vaccines being uh, gene editing vaccines. So the, the CRISPR gene was involved in, in the creation of the mRNA vaccine. Do you know? I, did, I, I didn't think that, that the mRNA vaccines were 
made with not, any kind of gene editing or CRISPR They're technology. not editing our genes, but the, 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 the development of the right mRNA code involves gene editing. Uh, but it doesn't, it doesn't affect the human genome in any way whatsoever. Um, but going back, it, it's been a while since I've looked at the method that they use to string together the right sequence of nucleotides to code for the coronavirus protein. I knew but you I, were I the suspect, right person to ask. <laughs> yeah, so, but I suspect that, yes, it probably did use the CRISPR technology just because that's so widespread, well understood, and fairly simple to run. Um, and so, and that also is why these vaccines are so nimble um, and why it would be fairly easy to um, change the code, if you will, and allow them to code for a slightly different protein um, as these variants um, emerge. And the, you know, Moderna and Pfizer are working on that right now. Um, I, I don't know if it's gone to the federal government for review yet, but those are certainly massive undertakings or moderately large undertakings of those two big pharma companies. All right. Well, more on that later, I guess. I, yeah. I mean, every time you talk about it, I, underst- I think I understand it a little bit more, but it is really complicated. Well, you know, it's it's not simple, and it's certainly not something that any of us had thought about, you know, prior to 15 months ago. Right. That's the other thing, is that when we're not in a pandemic, we're not even really that interested. But now, it's kind of life or death, so we're trying to figure out what this all means to us, and how can we can make informed decisions about it that, you know, keep us the safe, safest with the least intervention. Um, all right, so the number here in the studio is 707 895-2448. That's 707-895-2448. I'm Alicia Bales, live in the studio with Dr. Drew Colfax, zooming in this time, but still available. We're going to be taking your questions and comments until four o'clock. So that's a good 39 minutes, folks. <laughs> or we could stop early. I don't know. On um, and on and on. Well, we'll see how, how many calls we get, right? Yeah. Well, right now there's none. Well, maybe, maybe, maybe we finally have addressed every question everybody has out there, or perhaps it's just a nice day out and people want to be outside. Yes, and I don't blame them. It is spectacular here. So the phone lines are open. If and I, you know, if anybody's out there who did get a vaccine today at the Ukiah Fairgrounds, um, it would be great to hear how how that experience was. We do have our first caller. Hello, caller. You're live on the air. I, I have two questions. Um, one about the OptumServe testing at the fairground, which tests they're doing, how it's done, and also how long it takes for the results. The second question is about the governor's announcement about June 15th. Some news sources said it, it meant opening, uh, and Alicia, you have a different interpretation, so I'd like to hear about that. Thank you. All right. Thanks for that call. Okay. Yeah. So the OptumServe um, test, um, the OptumServe test is a PCR-based test. It, it's pretty. It's a pretty reliable test. It has a very low uh, false positivity or false negativity rate. Uh, the turnaround time is still. Yeah, I, I would be interested in hearing some new data points from people who have actually been tested there over the course of the last week or two, but it appears to be running about four to five days um, turnaround time, maybe a little bit longer for some people if it clips into a weekend date, um, but that's about what we're looking at. And unfortunately, it's outside of the hospitals. Um, it's the only test we have in the county. 
Um, and as for the June 15th, whether that translates to a complete opening up, you know, I, I don't have any inside track uh, from the governor's office on that. I suspect if the tears disappear and the numbers look good, that we are going to be headed in that direction shortly thereafter. You know, that's still two and a half months away. And at the rate of vaccination, um, presuming that there's pretty good uptake and that these strains are not are surgent, um, then, yeah, I think we'll be looking at a pretty wide opening sort of um, scenario by the end of June. That doesn't mean no mask wearing, but it probably means um, big social events, indoor events, indoor dining at higher rate of capacity and, and all the rest. Um, and I, I think we will be there statewide um, and probably countrywide by summer. Again, with a caveat being that these strains and sort of local surges that we're seeing, um, presuming that those come under control. So, and that includes pretty much life back to normal, like indoor well, gatherings, outdoor gatherings. What about the, I don't even want to say this, but what about the vaccine passport idea? Yeah, and that's that's a fraught question, right? I mean, it's it's really, I mean, even just saying that it's okay for vaccinated people to get together when non-vaccinated people shouldn't get together creates this dichotomy in the society that, that's fairly fraught. Um, you know, the as the vaccine becomes much more widely available, particularly once it drops all the way to 16 in a couple of days in the state of California, then that becomes somewhat less fraught. Um, you know, I, I think given the degree of reluctance um, to get vaccinated amongst a cohort of the population, that the idea of a vaccine passport would probably um, meet with considerable resistance. Um, and it's honestly, frankly, probably a non-starter. Now, whether that something like that exists for international travel, for airline travel, that's a possibility, but I'm not sure whether we're going to actually see a vaccine card that's going to be you know, scanned or monitored, or certainly not restaurants or any sort of sporting events or anything like that. Do you know anything about how the testing on uh, younger people from 12 to 16 is going in terms of the vaccine eligibility? Well, you know, the the Pfizer vaccine released their data about 10 days ago. I think we talked about it last week, um, looking you know pretty good with about 3,000 um, adolescents in their study showing high degree of effort or moderately high degree of efficacy or similar degree of efficacy without any increased um, incidence of side effects from the vaccine. So I, that trial should be sufficient for approval down to the age of 12. Now, under 12, those trials are still on, uh, still underway, both for the Moderna and for the Pfizer. I think we'll see that data over the course of the next probably six to eight weeks. Um, and so I don't anticipate that children under the age of 12 are going to be vaccinated until August and September. Um, kids 12 and up, we might start to see at the beginning of the summer. All right, it's 707-895-2448. The phone lines are open, 895-2448. This is the local coronavirus update. It's a slow day. It's our first Good. slow, slow day. Well, maybe we should move to once a month, Felicia. What do you think? <laughs> well... <laughs> well, let's talk about it. Let's All talk right. about it. Because I think I have some ideas. I don't know. Maybe other people I'm have sure ideas. I know I always have ideas, but um, maybe other people have ideas too. Let's see what people have to say. Hello, caller. You're live on the air. 
Hi. Um, I just want to say that I get tested pretty regularly at OptumServe, and I ask my clients to also, and that in the past two months, nobody has waited more than a day to get their results back. Wow. Yeah, it's been really, really quick. It's always empty when I go. It's always empty when my clients go. And the results are uh, in my inbox the next day. The very next day. That's remarkable because I I, I hadn't heard that. Um, that certainly wasn't, um, you know, my previous experience talking to people at work who've been through the OptumSurf uh, Center. So they must have expanded their capabilities or certainly streamlined the data processing in some significant way. Um, that's that's remarkable. That's the kind of test that we needed back in you know, last April and May and June. Right. Well, that's just in my and my experience. So I just wanted to uh, put that out there so people right. could yeah, that's get great. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. Bye. That makes me want to go do it. Get tested early, get tested often. Hey, caller, you're live on the air. Hello there. I'm, I have a couple of questions. I'm concerned about the variant, and I'm curious about how, after being vaccinated, am I, do I have any extra protection? So when you say extra protection, I, I presume you're meaning against these variants, correct? Yeah, against being becoming ill or hospitalized. Yeah, it's, so the, that that is that is a question that is really the question of the moment is, uh, which is to say, does the current um, iteration of the available vaccines protect against these strains that are prevalent, um, particularly in the United States? The most prevalent strain that we're seeing is this B one one seven strain that was initially colloquially called the Great Britain strain or the Britain strain. Um, the vaccine is not quite as effective uh, against that strain, um, but it's still quite effective. It's just not quite as good as the strains that it was tested against, the vaccines were tested against back in August, September, and October. The one from South Africa, the B1351, I, as I recall, um, that one actually has a greater capacity to do an end run around the immunity induced against the vaccine. So they are, the vaccines are not quite as effective against that strain. That strain, while present um, in the United States, is not nearly as prevalent as the B117 uh, strain. The vaccine does confer immunity, however, or some degree of immunity against all of these strains um, to some extent. It's just not as quite as good of immunity as you know was revealed um, back in September and October when these vaccines were initially developed. The California variant, the 429 variant, the B1429 variant, um, also um, is slowed or it's the vaccines are quite effective against that particular variant. That variant's not really taking root quite as much as we feared a month or two ago um, in, the, in the state of California or nationwide. But that, that certainly could change, particularly if the vaccine is effective against B117. Is that the most, is that the one that's here in Mendocino County? I think it's safe to say that they're all here in Mendocino County. Um, even though our numbers are pretty low, um, the prevalence of these various strains um, is pretty um, diverse throughout the country. 
we still even now don't have a lot of genomic surveillance. Um, and so most of these tests that we're getting through OptumServe are not being sequenced to see what strain they are. But we know that um, all three of these strains are in the state of California um, and uh-huh. probably are in, in Mendocino County as well. Wow. Well, thank you so much. Sure. All right. Thanks for the call. It's 895-2448-707-895-2448. Phone lines are open. We'll be here till 4 o'clock with the local coronavirus update. Hello, caller. You are live on the air. Thank you. Um, well, I have to say, I, I, know, I know you were talking about switching your bad news music to good news music, but um, I don't know. I have, I'm, I'm not sure if we're quite ready to do that yet um, because... Given the fact that you already talked about the fact that so many people are reluctant to get vaccinated and already, you know, I predicted that about end of March or early April, we would go from people chasing vaccines to vaccines chasing people. And maybe that's starting to happen. And the fact that there's now all these vacancies in in the testing, which tells me that we're not testing as much as, as, as we should be. Uh, and which means we're probably flying blind as far as the numbers are concerned, at least at least to some extent. And and then there is the possibility of the variants. And so somebody like me who's had both vaccinations and who was actually really looking forward to relaxing for a change, I can't. I find myself in the position of basically continuing my life as though I'm unprotected, because I just don't know, and we just don't know. And I would just love for you to talk a bit about that. And also about yeah. that, that the whole trauma associated with 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 not knowing, you know. Yeah, that's. I mean, and I think not knowing, you know, I've talked about the science of this pandemic really since the outset, but unfortunately, there's been a lot that we haven't known about this virus and about the pandemic for, you know, throughout. Um, and I and I think that lack of knowledge um, or lack of understanding of how this pandemic was going to play out really it it feeds into some you know understandable um and you know entirely legitimate reluctance to jump in both feet and get vaccinated among some cohort of the population i I think that's where a lot of the hesitancy at least regarding the vaccine um comes from i mean some of it sure is just you know people who are you know, adamantly opposed to all vaccines all the time. But I think the majority of the people who haven't yet signed up to get vaccinated or who aren't rushing to get vaccinated really just find the lack of, you know, solid knowledge, complete 100% ironclad solid knowledge about how this pandemic works and how it's playing out. Um, and, you know, that that lack of that knowledge and the, the lack of clarity around communication of, around this virus um, has led to this reluctance to be vaccinated. Your your concerns about the strains are really my concerns and every public health officer's concerns. And we just don't know yet um, whether the limited efficacy of the vaccine against these new strains um, is going to translate to a resurgence of the of the pandemic. I you know the data so far is looking quite encouraging. I think you are smart, however, to continue to, you know, be more or less COVID, smart, uh, COVID cautious um, until we get better control and more data. Now, I, I certainly am not going to be dining at uh, indoor restaurants anytime in the near future, um, even though that's now possible. It's just 
there's a risk benefit analysis. And I think we each need to sort of decide what um, is our threshold for comfort. And one thing we do know about the virus is that indoor events, um, indoor events with a lot of people, particularly if people aren't masked, which is dining or drinking, um, are, are high-risk activities. We know that outdoor events are very, very low, and particularly if you're vaccinated, anything that's outside is going to be an extremely low-risk activity. And that knowledge, I think, is informing some of the decisions that we're making as individuals. It's also starting to inform public policy, you know, in some limited way. The problem, however, is, you know, a lot of this gets driven by politics and by business interests rather than, than science. And so it can, be, it can be a little bit difficult uh, to untangle this convoluted web uh, that we've been navigating for the last 12 months or so. But you're right. I mean, I, I think the music... People are starting to feel safer now, and they're not getting tested whenever they have a runny nose or sniffles. We also know less, right? Right. So the testing, we've, we've barely been tri tripping along at adequate testing for months now. I mean, once the vaccine started to become available back at the end of last year, the focus of a significant fraction of the population was on getting the vaccine rather than getting tested. And so the frustrations that we were fielding and that I was hearing for months and months through the summer and early fall about when and where and how I can get tested and why it's taking two weeks or two and a half weeks to get results back, at which point they're completely useless. Uh, those questions have faded away because people really just aren't getting tested quite as much as we would like. Um, that's not unique to Mendocino County. That's that's a nationwide problem. However, you know, for the moment, our testing is still minimally adequate, um, and so we are we are flying completely blind as to incidents of COVID in the county. We still don't have a lot of great data around the strains um, locally, but that doesn't really change our behavior. We can still we still know what to do um, to prevent getting COVID um, while we have COVID of any flavor in the county. How likely do you think it is that all of those people who are not getting tested and who are having asymptomatic COVID, and we don't know they have it because they're not getting tested, how likely is it that that's the major breeding reservoir from, for variants? Oh, no, that's that's the problem, right? I mean, if we have 30 to 40 percent of the population that won't or doesn't want to get vaccinated or can't get vaccinated, then that that's an adequate reservoir for these variants to um, continue to evolve um, and perhaps evolve into something that's even worse. Um, and so that's really what motivates a lot of public health officials um, in terms of trying to drive increased uptake of the vaccine. The more, the more people there are who are not vaccinated, the longer we're going to be dealing with this pandemic and the greater the likelihood uh, that it will evolve into something worse um, and it perhaps evolve into something that requires a whole new vaccine or a whole new shutdown or a whole new surge that overwhelms the hospital systems. Those are all still possibilities that are in play, um, which is why for the moment, um, you know, our theme song will remain unchanged, even um, if things are you know, right now, looking pretty good in the county. And I'm sure that you can always find more bad news if we need it. I, you know, I, I like to be doom and gloom. That's part of my nature. That's part of my job, unfortunately. But it's, 
Yeah, I think we've done a great job in this county, and the state of California has done a pretty good job as well um, getting this under control. And we never were overwhelmed um, in the county. Um, the healthcare system was never swamped. We never had complete chaos. Um, and, and part of that might be due to dumb luck. Part of it might be due to good policy. Part of it might be due to our rural location. Um, but you know, regardless, it's it's never been quite as grim as many of us feared. You know, through the course of the spring um, or last summer when we were looking at the fall. And frankly, right now, it certainly doesn't look any worse than it has ever looked in, since since last February. All right. Thanks for the call, caller. I lost that one. Hello, caller. You are live on the air. Hello, caller. That's you. Yeah. Um, gosh, it's so it's so such a relief to hear you talking this way because that's all the stuff I'm noticing. I go someplace where people are vaccinated and they're just so casual and just not concerned about wearing masks if they're you know around each other and in medium to large groups and. And I'm standing off, you know, with distance, wearing a mask inside, staying outside as much as possible. And I'm still getting tested. And I had a different uh, take on the the, the uh, return time where I actually did get a test back from um, OptumServe in 29 hours. And then also the next time I got it back in 71 and a half hours, which is much better than it used to be. But just inside that margin that they said that they'll get it to you in. But still, it's better than it was. And and it's just, I think what you said earlier, doctor, about not knowing what was going to come down the pike, it's always been that way. And it's just that now everyone's much more painfully aware of it. I, I think we're both more painfully aware of you know, the unpredictable nature, um, but we're also really tired of it. And so that I, I think that's driving a lot of our higher risk behaviors. You know, that I think is going to perhaps drive surges in various places in the country, whether it drives a surge in this county or not, it remains to be seen. With 55 to 60% vaccine uptake in this county and more vaccine arriving you know, this week, we're going to get over 60% probably pretty quickly. And then we're going to be heading towards 70 70 is sort of the low end of where we can start talking about herd immunity. So, yeah, it's there's room for optimism. I personally would, you know, not only is it still required, but I would encourage people to engage in the social distancing and the universal mask wearing and the hand sanitizing or washing. Everything else we've been talking about since last February, perhaps with the exception of the sterilization um, or washing protocols that we all instituted of vegetables and mail and that sort of thing, which really just never was borne out um, in any significant way in terms of a vector of transmission. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's still amongst us. We're still going to be wearing face masks for the rest of the year, um, not just until the summer, but certainly for the rest of the year, you know, maybe into a year from now or the following spring before we finally start to see unmasked people, um, appropriately unmasked people in uh, indoor businesses. Right, right. And the thing that's so odd about being here is we've always lagged earlier when things were getting bad elsewhere. We lagged first months behind, and then when it got closer to us statewide and such, reasonably wise, um, weeks behind the surges elsewhere. And now we're, we're amongst the elite counties that I'm aware of 
that have had such great access and early access, 16-year-olds getting access to the vaccine already, whereas, you know, uh, I was on the phone with you last week or the week before, and, you know, in Europe, no, <laughs> they, don't have, yeah. they don't have access. They just brought it down to 70 in, in France yeah. and probably in Germany. I think they're down to 65. And, and, it's, it, and there are countries in the world that haven't had a single vaccine administered. And it's, right, just, and it's not going to go away. And, and, it's not going to go away like that because we have international travel. We have, you know, our freedoms here to do what we want. And this is going to be such a lingering issue. Yeah, it's going to it's going to take it's going to take months. You know, and that's you know that's one of the reasons why this AstraZeneca, you know, just a web of disasters, um, really is going to have a global impact that may actually affect our local control of the pandemic. And similarly with the J&J's, you know, bungling of their production facility and getting the vaccine safely distributed, that that's going to have less of an impact nationally, but this is a global pandemic. And until we get, you know, significant uptake um, through the developing country, developing world, then we're going to, it's just going to come rushing right back in some other strain, some other variant that is perhaps resistant um, or able to evade the immunity induced by these vaccines, which means we'll be talking about new types of vaccines all over again this fall or next winter. Yeah, I, I hope not, um, but that, that is certainly a possibility. That's certainly what's keeping public health um, and epidemiologists up at night as they try to figure out how to wrap their hands around this global problem. Okay, yeah. let's reel this back yeah. in a little bit. <laughs> you guys, you are okay, really okay, going okay. there. Okay. Find, find, a, find a happier version of this to talk to with your next caller. Thank you okay. very much for your time. Thanks a lot for the call. I mean, I just wonder, I did read a, a pretty interesting um, analysis by a journalist who said all of the focus on the the doomsday scenarios, you know, might undermine people's desire to get the vaccine because if you get it and then nothing changes, you know, sure. Why? Why? No, I mean, there are good things happening, right? It's there. Yeah, I, I, you know, last last spring, a lot of the anxiety of healthcare workers locally was that we were going to just be overwhelmed, and you know, we were having conversations with hospital administrators and, and, and politicians about how many ventilators we have in the county and how many people could actually manage the ventilators and, and whatnot. That never, you know, fortunately never came to fruition. However, let's just be very clear, despite everything that we've done to control this pandemic for the last 14 months, 560 some thousand Americans have died from it. And that's that's with everything being shut down repeatedly and all these mask wear and all the social distancing, all these steps that we've taken to control the pandemic. And we've still had over a half million deaths just in this country. So, yeah, it's. You know, I, 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 it never was the doomsday scenario that I was anxious about back in the spring locally. But boy, if I had said on the radio that we're going to have a half million deaths by you know a year from now, that would have been startlingly grim. Right? We never would have opened another piece of mail or brought another piece <laughs> of vegetables into our house. Uh, yeah, no, that would have been absolutely. I, we would have been frozen with fear, I think, uh, to know what actually was was going to happen. And and the numbers three million people, three million deaths worldwide, 
over half a million of those deaths in the United States. So by, we're by far uh, the worst in terms of deaths from the from the pandemic worldwide. Hey, caller, are you still there? Yes. Hi, you're live on the air. Thank you. I just wanted to say um, uh, my niece who lives in Minnesota, her husband is a nurse, and about five or six months ago he got COVID on the job, brought it home, their son and my niece, they're all, my niece and my niece and nephew are both in their mid forties. Uh, everybody got COVID. Uh, the husband and son got over it, but my niece, who is prone to uh, asthma, has uh, never recovered. She still is having terrible trouble breathing, and. Uh, um, she she didn't die, thank goodness, and it doesn't look like she's going to, but not from this anyway. But uh, um, there are other things besides death that are happening with COVID. There are uh, things that are getting exacerbated by COVID, and people may have permanent damage from that. So getting vaccinated is super important. People who are resisting it just because they're of their political beliefs or whatever silly stuff is going on with them, uh, believe me, uh, shortening your life or living the rest of your life, not being able to walk up a hill or something, is one of the side effects. Yeah, and that's, you know, I'm sorry to hear about your niece, but that's certainly something that, you know, we've become aware of. It's certainly not just the people who have succumbed to COVID, but the sort of the COVID long haulers um, are, are, an increasingly significant um, fraction of our population, and some, you know, some of these long haulers are having significant, um, you know, difficulties, uh, health difficulties, due expressly from the COVID. Um, that's that's what we're seeing locally. That's certainly a national problem. It's going to become a huge burden on the healthcare system. It's going to have a massive amount of personal impact as well as economic impact on a lot of people. So it's that's frightful, and we've only begun, really, even now, um, to wrap our arms around um, what long COVID means. The other thing that we've talked about um, is sort of all the excess mortality that has gone with COVID. And so we know, you know, there, there's this narrative out there that any death in this country has been ascribed to COVID, which is demonstrably false. Um, but we do know that more people in in excess of the 560,000 people have died over the course of the last 14 months um, due to deferred health maintenance, due to reluctance to seek medical care, due to increased depression and suicide um, that we're seeing nationwide um, and you know certainly locally as well. So COVID's not just the 560,000 unfortunate people who have died from this um, illness. It's also all the COVID long haulers um, and all the people that have deferred a lot of other healthcare related issues that have you know, seen a significant decline in their health or even death from non um, COVID infection causes. Yes, so it's a very good point, and I appreciate your shout out for the vaccine. Caller, you want to say that one more time? I was going to say the, the 560. Uh, thousand deaths is only what we know about. It's, you know, they're, they're very likely, I've heard from other medical sources, 
that very likely other people have died from COVID that just they're just not getting reported. And we certainly know in the previous administration they were suppressing supporting our uh, reporting. So anyway, that's my comment. <laughs> yeah, this is this is really only people who are known to have died from COVID. I mean, that, that number is coming from death certificates. And that, that's how we abstract. That's how the CDC abstracts all of its data in terms of in terms of death counts. So if somebody die, you know, if somebody comes in, you know, dead in the emergency room, not to be too gruesome, you know, we oftentimes don't have a great idea of what caused them to die. Um, occasionally it falls on me to fill out the death certificate with, you know, little more data than somebody was found with, you know, respiratory or cardiac arrest. That could be COVID, but I'm, I can't call it COVID. I can call it a cardiac or pulmonary respiratory arrest. But, you know, those numbers, you know, it's it's the best approximation that we have. It's it's almost certainly an undercount to some extent. Um, but the the more pervasive narrative, I think, nationally, at least in the national news, is, is that this is a somehow exaggerated number of 560. Whereas your point uh, is, I think, more accurate, which is to say it's an undercount by some fraction. We just don't really know what it is. All right, this is the local coronavirus update with Dr. Drew Colfax. I'm Alicia Bales, and the number here is 707-895-2448, 707-895-2448. We have about mm, six minutes left or so for calls, so let's go ahead and take one more. Hey, caller, you're live on the air. Hi. Hi, Dr. Colfax. Um, um, I live in senior housing, Um and there are a number of people since they have been vaccinated who are not wearing masks. I guess they think they're immune to this disease or they don't care if they give it to others if they have that education. I think a lot of people don't realize that when they get vaccinated that they can make other people really sick. Um, and um, to me it's scary. I mean, more often than not, when I go into the laundry room here, uh, there's only supposed to be one person in there. Everybody's supposed to, they're supposed to be masked, and that is not happening anymore. People are not masked. I was in there this morning. I was masked. Somebody walked in without a mask, didn't leave. I asked her to put her mask on. She started talking. It's just like I'm within three feet of me. I can't get away because I'd be, I'm up against a wall, basically. So this is a problem, and it happened in the grocery store, too. Somebody was uh, wearing a shield, no mask, and said, I've been, oh, it's okay, I've been vaccinated. Like, now they can't give it to me. And I've gotten my first shot. I look forward to getting my second one. But still, uh, and so many people, about a lot of people I talk to who are mostly seniors, are just waiting to see what happens with these vaccines, you know, and... To me, I just think a lot of education needs to happen. And I'm wondering what's happening in that department. Um, you know, I don't know if people just don't know or if they don't care or both. Um, um, they're just worried about protecting themselves. or They just don't know. Um, so uh, maybe you could respond to that. Yeah, so there's a lot in that, in that call, to be certain. Um, First off, the vaccines, while quite effective, are not 100%. They're about 90 to 94% effective, which you know means one in, 20 pe- one in 20 individuals who's vaccinated, fully vaccinated, may still get COVID. 
what they're quite good at doing is preventing severe illness or death, um, but they don't prevent um, entirely the possibility that people could get COVID and transmit COVID. We don't know that incidence and the numbers are looking pretty good or the preliminary data is looking pretty good to suggest that that's going to be a rare event. But still, fully vaccinated individuals, A, can get COVID. We know that's going to be a a scenario that we will see. And B, they will presumably be able to transmit COVID. That rate um, at an individual level or a population level, we just don't know yet. Um, As for sort of the personal interactions um, in your living facility, I mean, that really... That's frustrating to hear, um, uh, it, but it, it speaks, I think, to several things. One is there's just been a horribly garbled narrative around this pandemic from the get-go, and a lot of that blame um, lies with the current administration and sort of the attacks on science and scientists and the CDC. Um, but some of it also rests with you know, the healthcare establishment and local government and state government. Um, but... You know, the message over the course of the last six to eight months has been fairly um, clear, I think, which is to say you need to wear masks. That hasn't gone away. Getting a vaccine does not uh, obviate the need to continue to wear a mask. You should still avoid indoor settings to the extent that it's possible. I, If I were in your scenario, I would not go into a laundry room if there's somebody in there that's unmasked. I would simply you know, insist that management enforce universal masking. Um, and that, that, that's something that they should be doing. It's still a state and county requirement. Um, and then continued conversation, continued efforts, you know, of which this radio show has been a small part um, to educate people about um, these risks and about the, about the science um, behind the vaccine and the knowledge um, that we have around these vaccines needs to be an ongoing effort. Um, but it's, it's still just an ongoing effort. And, you know, your call makes it clear that, at least in your community, there's still reluctance. Um, you know, it's certainly multifactorial to get vaccinated. That's unfortunate. Um, you know, I, I just hope and expect that, that that reluctance will fade as more and more people in your community are, in fact, vaccinated and have enjoyed no significant adverse event from the vaccine. All right. Well, that's going to do it. We've just got about a minute left to say our goodbyes and to wish everybody a great week after they've survived this hour. Of <laughs> it feels so long. It really feels quite long. But... Well, it was particularly gruesome today, I thought, too. But I mean, obviously, it's it's important. It's true. But uh, OK. But, you know, wearing masks is um, it's non-pharmaceutical. It's easy. It's cheap. And it's not even... I mean, especially if you're feeling like you don't want to face the world, it's, you know, it's kind of nice. You can just have your mask on and go about your business and it's simple and it doesn't hurt anyone. And it's just, you know, just do it because we're going to have these masks for a long time to come, even with the vaccine. So you got anything else? Indeed. No, masks are, you know, they're they're really part and parcel of controlling this pandemic. They're safe and effective. There's very low side effect profile with masking. So wear mask up, everybody. Be safe. We'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. 
have been listening to the local coronavirus update from KZYXNZ Mendocino County Public Broadcasting in Philo, California. This podcast is made possible by funding from the Mask Awareness Project of North Coast Opportunities. To hear this program live, tune in on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays at 3 p.m. Pacific Time to KZYX Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ Williton Ukiah at 91.5 FM, and in Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. Or you can hear us anywhere at kzyx.org, where you can also find out how to donate or become a KZYX member. Thanks for listening.